and welcome. It's Perhaps It's You, an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast that's super unofficial. Brought to you by Liz and... Samantha. <laughs> yes, we did it. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> hello, BD Wong. Hello, five listeners. We're so happy to have you with us today. Today was the day of our dog bandana and face mask sale to support our local library system, including libraries that were recently libraries that were recently damaged during the rebellion so thank you to everyone that bought some items that's pretty cool it really okay i was expecting to sell a couple and granted the the sale is still going on so by the time this comes out on thursday we might be totally sold out but i'm already kind of blown away by some stuff sold out so fast almost immediately like people were waiting (laughs) Like, this is a, I don't know, a concert or something, you know, where you have to, like, it sells out in three seconds, so you have to be, like, at work refreshing your computer. Oh, I've I've definitely been that person. The person that has, like, three browser things open so you can keep trying. Yeah. Uh, It seems like some people are really ready for this mask sale, and we cannot thank you enough. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. We'll raise some money for the library. If you bought some stuff, I want, yeah. want to see pictures, especially of your pets wearing Oh, my bandana. God. Yes. That's a Please must. send them. Actually, it's required. Uh, purchase uh, requires that you <laughs> take a photo of your pet wearing that's the bandana. Part and of then the obligation. Send it to us. Yeah. Why don't I? I'm going to use a hashtag um, PIY for sale. All right. And that'll be on the items that are still available when this comes out. Oh, so that you can idea. easily see what is still in stock. Everything that's sold out, if I like know that it is sold out, I've changed the caption to say so, but it'll just be easier to search that way. So PIY for sale. I already checked. That's not a thing. That's not gonna like bring into something gross somehow. <laughs> it's so, always a concern. <laughs> you know, you gotta check. You really gotta check. So yeah, that's exciting. We're gonna have lots of masks and doggy bandanas to send out. And then you can have pride in having helped a library. One of the purest and most helpful things you can do. Absolutely. So that's what's going on with me. Oh, I had um, jury duty last week and the week before. And everyone, including myself, sad to say, didn't end up on a jury. It really is a a bummer. I was on the edge (laughs) of my seat for like two weeks. (laughs) Hoping you would get on that jury. And for a second there, it really seemed like you for might. For a second, it was down to, there was like 15 of us. We were waiting outside of a courtroom, like the judge and the stenographer, and people were already in there. Because of COVID, they had changed some of the procedures. So we had already done part of the voir dire process as an online survey, um, which was like, you know, your employment history, tons of very invasive questions about whether you've ever been the victim of a crime or you know anyone who's ever been a victim of the crime. I can't imagine being able to put no to no, no crimes. What are those? <laughs> but I was really kind of hoping I would get asked about a couple of my answers to the questions <laughs> in like a weird way. Okay. So there was one question that was like, do you think the jury process is fair? No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, and then there was one question that was like, do you think, I think it was the judicial system works. These questions are also right next to each other and they're both very vague. And so I put for that one, yes, because I think it does work as intended. Like, I don't think it's broken. 
I just think it was designed to I perpetuate inequalities. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just you know to maintain the status quo. So like, yes, it works. Is that the question? <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of hoping it'd be like, why did you put? Yes, it's unfair. No, it's unfair. But yes, it works. Like that seems weird. I was like, I'm just answering the questions as answered. <laughs> this was this. You had to say that you like. You know, it was basically under oath. You had to like sign away that your answers were true. So, but at the last minute, there was a plea deal, so we just went home, and I didn't get to be on a jury or do any cool jury stuff, and I was kind of bummed. But also, really, I had this whole fantasy in my head where you were on this jury. It was like a high-profile case. You were like the jury foreman. You were forcing everyone to like stay and like. Go through the pro. I don't know. I just you know I would have been in there like yelling at everybody. So yeah, that would be that would make great podcast content. I feel like you can't talk about those things like publicly, but eventually, right? Eventually, I think the case is done. You can. You just can't do it like during the deliberations or during the trial. Um, but yeah, it, it turns out I have nothing to talk. I just literally like called a bunch of times. Spent one day just sitting in a room. And then one day showing up to court and then being told I could go home. So it was anticlimactic. Hopefully I didn't get COVID. That was my other concern. But Yeah, you did have to go sit in a room with other people. With strangers. Yeah, so it really wasn't that interesting. Sorry, everyone. I was hoping I would have a great story of, I don't know, justice or something. Dang. Yeah, that is disappointing. But it's how it goes most of the time, I think. I sort of felt like after I answered those questions, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to end up on a jury because they also wanted to know every organization you had ever volunteered for or given money to. And I just gave a bunch of- How could you possibly know every organization you've ever given money to? I can't possibly remember, but like very recently, I just gave a bunch of money to like reclaim the block. So right, (laughs) I don't know that they really want me on a jury. Yeah, that might, that, they might just be like, wait a minute. You don't even like the police. Like, yeah, no. Oh, good times. Okay. I do have an update that I keep forgetting to share. This is that we got on an email from listener Kate who said, I just finished listening to season three, episode three, and you two were wondering if romance constant crime was still common and has it moved online? I mean, we assumed so, but we didn't know the specifics. The answer is yes. I do cybersecurity stuff, so this is my area. According to the FBI's Internet Crime Report, it is the it has the sixth most victims in internet crimes and the second highest financial loss at 362 million in 2018. I feel like that's supposed to be more, but anyway, to put this in perspective, that is three times the amount of money lost in corporate data breaches and four times the amount of money lost to credit card fraud annually wow love your show kate so there you go there's a little little stats to warn you to watch out for those sweetheart swindlers that are out there trying to romance your grandma (laughs) and take advantage of the fact that she doesn't really know how the internet works so i don't know maybe take a day to sit down with her talk to her about the dangers of the internet yeah teach her what catfishing is and uh yeah, that's I, that's. Wild. I don't think either of my grandmas really use the internet, but maybe I should look into that further and make sure they don't. Just be be sure. This is yeah. good to check, Grandma. What are you Grandma, doing? Grandma, what, what are you up to? What are you up to when you get up so early? Hmm. 
Yeah, that is disturbing. That takes a, a real sort of low life crook. Yeah, prey on people like that. Wow. Well, I guess things things don't really change all that much, do they? Yeah. No, that's the thing. Like they're still out there. They just have to change their methods a little bit. Yeah, I guess they're they're more catfish now. This won't be an issue once we send all men to the moon. We'll solve that problem. We need a little bit more podcast. Uh, <laughs> We're we working on it. Oh, if only we weren't giving this dog bandana money to the library. We need it for the moon colony. It's going to set us back a little bit, but <sighs> we'll make up for it. I'm, I'm confident. Yeah. Do we have any other updates? I feel like I always forget once I sit down. But I have been meaning to ask you what your mom thought of those romance novels you sent her. If if we got any more werewolf information out of any of these these books, I don't know that she's read them yet. I'll have to I'll have to call her for an update. I recently found a lot of just random paranormal romances that someone was selling on Macari. And it was pretty cheap, so I was just like, whatever, I'll send this to my mom. Because one of the books was called Werewolf Smackdown. That's the one I'm really curious. I need to know the plot of Werewolf Smackdown. And I don't know the plot because it was literally just a shot of four covers. And I was like, do you want these books? Like, you had to get all of them, you know? And I didn't, like, look them up to see what they were about. I was just like, yep, buying those. So there was also Rhymes with Witches, and something about a masquerade was one and i can't remember what the fourth one was but and then it occurred to me like i had never really thought about just like buying random paperback books <laughs> as a lot but that's something you can do and they have uh, you know on ebay tons of just like get a box of paranormal romances so i sort of feel like my new hobby is going to be just buying my mom random ass books and having them sent to her and then maybe we can get some little book reports on I'm dying Which to know, particularly the plot of Werewolf Smackdown. So we will have to <laughs> I get an love, update on that. Like, okay, when I was a kid, my mom could read like two Harlequin romances a day. She's a very fast reader. So we spent a lot of time at these bookstores taking back romance <laughs> novels and trading them in for other. There was a perpetual cycle. So I spent a lot of time at used paperback bookstores. And I just, there's something about those covers, those like early 90s, 80s covers that were like, you know, some artists had like hand paint a werewolf, like (laughs) biting a woman's neck seductively, you know, or just like the most ridiculous things people used to paint as these covers. And I don't even know that, I don't think they usually even read the books. They just were like given a vague gist and they were like, okay, so there's going to be a cemetery. There's going to be like, a hot headless horseman there's you know and then sometimes you're reading the book and you'd be like where's this thing from the cover and it would like never show up but covers are like much less specific now um there's just something that yeah god so good brings back some really good memories so i was looking for more books to send her and i actually sent her in another box and it's a little bit more well, it has a bit more more of a chiclet slant to this selection. Okay. But I wanted it. If you are familiar with the show, you may know that my mom has been seeking more gargoyle romance novels. <laughs> There's a lack. She'll read, literally, if you put something up that's like a romance for free on Kindle, she's probably read it. If your book has like werewolf, kinky werewolves, she's read that book. So um, she was saying there was a real lack of gargoyle romances and i found a box of books that has this book called the stone prince 
which is about a woman who flips houses in Texas and also and her home has like an erotic sculpture garden. This seems promising. And she kisses one of the statues and it comes alive. <laughs> yes. Is it a gargoyle? It's not a gargoyle. It's just like a hunky dude statue, you okay, know, like well. David or something. But I was like, okay, this is pretty close to gargoyles. I'm getting this book. Well, then it turned out to like buy that book used was like 20 to $30. I posted this box of nine of them for 10 So I was like, whatever. You get this whole box of books. My mom's like, sounds good to me. <laughs> all the other ones were about like different magical men. They were all magic in some way. Okay, okay. But I'm this very a very unique concept kissing a statue and then it comes to life. Someone try it with the Mothman statue. I yes. Yes. When are we getting that Mothman romance book about us, by the way? I cannot wait. The, I cannot the wait. greatest accomplishment of my life that I have very little to do with. Can't wait. Um so maybe we can get an update on Werewolf Smackdown and also the Stone Prince. The Stone Prince. I'm looking forward to it. Uh yeah, and if you have any other suggestions for other books like that that you think I should send my mom, I mean, it's got to be cheap, but send them my way. <laughs> I saw another series that seems like adult animorphs. It's like Ooh. it's like werewolves, but they turn into leopards, like sexy leopards. Okay, okay. I might send her that one as well. Why not? I mean, she's stuck at home. You know, I don't want her going out, so... Adult animorphs. There's of course this is, does not surprise me at all. This exists. Yeah, I just hadn't really thought about it. I guess. Um, I think she told me about one that involved like people. I don't know. There was one that had people turning into like all sorts of animals, including like rodents and stuff. And I was just like <laughs> dying laughing at the idea of like where mice and their and their then their romances. But well, I mean, sexy leopards. That's more like cat people. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's like, what is Liz talking about? I thought this was about Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Well, one of the Unsolved Mysteries is why did someone write the book of the Stone Prince? And I don't I don't have a solution to that mystery. Well, some, you know, some mysteries remain unsolved. (laughs) So I have been slowly watching the new Unsolved Mysteries reboot episode. Yeah. God damn. Are they sad? What? Yeah. God damn warned you better about that they are and they get progressively sadder oh god like the first one starts out pretty sad the second one is sad the the next one was sadder than that it's like everyone kind of compile how many episodes are you in into it i haven't watched the alien one yet okay so i think i've watched four okay yeah that sounds right um yeah when you get more detail to the mystery no surprise it gets a lot sadder yeah, and you know, more you feel more for the families. You learn more about their family and their lives, and you hear from more of their family members, and then you're just like, "Oh God!" Yeah, it's Ugh. it's pretty, it's pretty heartbreaking. Um, there is actually when Unsolved Mysteries dropped those episodes, they also started a thing on Reddit with like all the information. So I'll post a thing to that in our group if anybody wants to try to solve these mysteries. Yeah, if you apparently think- they're getting some credible tips. Yeah, if you think that maybe, you know, you maybe you live in the area of one of these mysteries and you feel like you'd be able to solve it, I'll I'll post a link to that. That's kind of cool that there's like some behind the scenes stuff, like extra footage of people talking and whatever evidence has been compiled that's available to the public. They put it all in one place on Reddit. So 
I don't know. Maybe we're going to solve some of these mysteries. I read an article. Oh, my God. Who was that from? So the article I was talking about, yeah, it's on Thrillist. It's called Netflix Dropped a Ton of New Evidence from Unsolved Mysteries Cases on Reddit. So this is why I had posted this in the group because I thought people would be interested in that. And I can post a, a direct link to that too. But the thing that – so it, it talks a little bit about, you know, the old show versus the new show. It's not the greatest article. But at the end – It's like, it remains to be seen if Unsolved Mysteries will carry on one of its other legacies from the other series, occasionally solving some mysteries. Occasionally? That's just rude. How dare they? Thanks to viewers' tips, more than half of these mysteries were solved. I mean, some of them are unsolvable. Some of them are about a magic rock. But a lot of the ones that are solvable are solved. Way more than half. Occasionally solving some mysteries? Please. Please thrillist to get yeah, it together i think that's a an egregious error that is an egregious error maybe i'll write in maybe i will write a polite but firm email excuse me thrillist first of all where do you get off <laughs> how dare you maybe read a book yeah, that is pretty rude check your sources <laughs> that is pretty rude occasionally Give robert it- stack his due yeah 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 <laughs> disgusting uh, so make sure you block Thrillist on your computer so that website never comes up again. Uh, <laughs> you won't accidentally look at it. Okay, should we talk about the episode now? Or just keep talking about what we think happens in the Stone Prince when that statue <laughs> comes alive and is so sexy. Okay, so we're on season five, episode 15. Yes, and there is a lost treasure mystery. There is a super long treasure mystery and for, Man- for Samantha's benefit her luck she didn't get it but actually i really like this mystery so it was actually interesting and i i do think that the treasure is real actually oh i think this treasure is real for sure okay so this one is is a, a rare credible treasure mystery and it's quite long it's like more than half the episode so get ready <laughs> get ready to hear a lot of my voice uh, Unsolved Mystery wants you to know that from 1965 to 1986, Ferdinand Marcos drew, rule, was the ruler of the Philippines, and by the end of it was said to be worth $10 billion, much of it looted from his own people. Few spoke out against him because um, he was originally democratically elected but became a dictator, as will probably happen in this country soon. So... Few were willing to speak out against him, but in May 5th of 1971, the newspapers ran this story. And it was about a locksmith and part-time treasure hunter named Roger Rojas, who was accusing Marcos's henchmen of ransacking his house and stealing a rare solid gold Buddha that Rojas has found while excavating near his home. Just days earlier, his brother had taken a photograph of Roger and the Buddha statue. So, yeah, so now you see... There is proof of this uh, treasure. I guess you could debate whether or not it's solid gold, but there are pictures of him with this uh, Buddha statue. Um, Roger was 27 at the time, and uh, Ferdinand Marcos died in Hawaii in 1989, and his estate was dealing with a number of lawsuits at the time that this aired, and this was including one from Rojas. So back to the beginning of the story, in 1970, Roger Rojas and his family lived on the island of Luzon. Like many in the area, he enjoyed treasure hunting on the weekends, which makes that place sound pretty cool, I have to say, despite our attitude towards treasure. If there's just like a bunch of treasure hunting hobbyists, I don't know, maybe there's a lot of treasure to find. He was friends with another treasure hunter named Albert Fuchigami. 
His father had been an officer in the Japanese army during World War II. Fuchigami had recreated maps from memory based on what his father had showed him as a child. And what these maps were of was like an, a tunnel system underground that was leading to a fortune in gold. Uh, it had supposedly been left behind when the Japanese army was kicked out of the Philippines. So they got together a whole crew of people to dig. And after a few weeks, they, ac- they did actually locate the tunnels, which had been dynamited shut. The tunnel system was really elaborate and even included like small train tracks. So after exploring for a while, they realized that all access to the main passageway had been blocked off by other dynamite explosions. So they ended up digging a new tunnel. Um, Roger, who we're hearing from and like Unsolved Mysteries present day, he's telling us this story that he went through the tunnel first because they weren't really sure like how safe it was and he didn't want other people to get hurt. So he goes through this tunnel and he enters a cavern and he comes across at least 10 human skeletons. There were people who worked in these tunnels that were just abandoned when they got sealed shut. This was horrible. Yeah. Uh, using the, the map his friend made, they knew where... Like, this map that his friend made from memory was apparently, like, very accurate. Because they knew where to break through in the floor to find the treasure. Like, there wasn't a tunnel that went directly to it. So they break through the floor, and they're just surprised to discover a solid gold Buddha that apparently weighed 2,000 pounds. Um, Roger tells us that the statue was not native to the Philippines, and he suspected it was looted by soldiers somewhere else in Asia. Further in... So, okay, so then they go through that hole that's kind of in the floor. They find this big gold Buddha, and then, like... Further through that hole, they find more tunnels, and there's boxes and boxes of solid gold bars in the, like, stored down there. So they didn't have the equipment to remove everything right away because it it was so heavy. So their plan was to reclose the tunnel by dynamiting it shut, sell the Buddha, and then use that money to rent trucks and equipment. And then they would come back to get the rest of the gold. So Roger's friend seems super trusting because he lets roger just take the buddha home and he very quickly found a prospective buyer but and i think the buyer gives him like a down payment and is going to get the rest of the money together but he notices that the buyer was paying very close attention to the neck on the statue so after he leaves roger and his brother use this like piece of wood and a hammer to like gently shimmy the head off and it like neatly comes off and then the body of the statue is actually hollow and that is full of diamonds this is like the world's best treasure. <laughs> it's such an Indiana Jones moment. It's like something that would happen in a children's book to be like, not only was this a gold statue, but when you took off the head, it was full of rare diamonds. Like, oh my goodness. Piles of gold bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is quite a treasure. But I mean, I guess if you're an army that's invading and looting, then maybe you do end up with some treasure. So anyway, he took the diamonds out of the statue and hid them in the closet because his deal with the buyer was only for the statue. It didn't, it didn't include a, a statue's worth of diamonds. <laughs> um, at this point, like two months goes by and I'm not really sure what happened there but so after two months after bringing the statue home uh roger rose house's house is swarmed by soldiers there's a reenactment of them like breaking in through windows they just like all storm in like a swap team um 
And at this point, also the prospective buyer appears and Roger realizes that he's been double crossed. So the soldiers are there and they ransack his entire house. They not only take the statue, which, okay, in the reenactment, they're like, aha, we found the statue. And it's like literally just behind like a sheet that's been hung up. (laughs) So then they pull it down and they're like, look there. It's like, wow, can't believe you found that. So expertly hidden. Um, But they take everything. He said they even took the his children's piggy banks and they took his wife's jewelry and like things they had inherited from their family like anything of any value they took and apparently roger knew that the soldiers worked for marcos that they were part of his palace guard because they had these red ribbons tied on their rifles um he says that he knew if he fought back he would be killed so there wasn't really any point and they just sat there while the soldiers like took all their stuff the next day, him and his brother went to report it to the local police, and then he went to visit a judge he knew personally because he had worked for him as a chef, and he wanted to know why the judge has had allowed the soldiers to confiscate his treasure. I feel like Roger was, like, a little naive. Like, he had a little bit too much faith in the system. Yeah. Because the judge is like, what are you t- – like, what was I going to do? <laughs> like, President Marcos asked for it. He's just going to take it. He's going to be super mad that you made that report to the police because it makes him look bad. Honestly, your life is in danger. You should take your family and flee. Well, and the judge actually refers to President Marcos as the prince. And then he's like, the prince? We don't have a prince. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, we do. It's the president. (laughs) It's like, we do now. And it's the president. And oh, by the way, he wants you dead. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you are fucked. You should be like that out of town. You, why did you make that report to the police? That's not how any of this works. Um, the judge has a very neat, tidy mustache, at least on the reenactor that's playing him. And I called it actually pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite a compliment for a mustache. That's what I call Yeah, I was like, no, oh, that's actually, if you're going to have a mustache, solid. That guy may work for him. Okay. Um, so at this point, Roger and his family flee to an isolated village. But by this point, reporters had already picked up the story because of the police report. Marcos has started. Sh- I don't totally understand this upcoming part of the story. So Marcos starts showing off the Buddha statue as like, look, I have a solid gold Buddha. I'm a great president. But then people were like, no way. That's a fake. And political, particularly his political opponents were saying, like, you're a fraud. And so is that Buddha statue. So they wanted, so one of the political opponents convinces Roger that he should go to Manila and like publicly confirm if it's real or a fake. So Roger does, and he goes in and he looks at the statue and he's like, no, this isn't the same one. It's not the right color and the head doesn't come off. Like, I don't know that this is made of gold, but mine was made of solid gold, whatever. And then he goes on to continue to accuse President Marcos or the prince of um, stealing his wife's jewelry and stuff like that. He was like, not only is this statue not real, but President Marcos, you know, raided my house and stole all my stuff and blah, blah, blah. So it was a little confusing to me, too, because it seems like he confirmed that it was a fake. But why use a fake? I don't know. I feel like it might be irrelevant to this story. Like maybe he had the real one, but he didn't want to put it out because he was afraid of getting stolen or. Yeah, that I don't... would make sense. I don't know. I don't. That was confusing to me. And you're right. I don't think it's super relevant, but. Because Roger was like, yeah, this is a fake, but he did steal it. And he also stole my other things. And I don't really. I mean, I don't know 
this is probably not a surprise. I really don't know anything about politics in the Philippines. I don't know why like this would be a scandal if people were like he that, he's saying that's real but that's a fake i i like i don't totally get that but i'm just going with what roger says in the segment so after since he once again acclu- accused president marcos of um stealing from him he had to be he had to flee again but he was tracked down two weeks later and forced into a car by guards who were apparently very proud that they had finally caught him and he was taken to manila where they put him in a hotel room eventually and tortured him. They wanted him to authenticate the Buddha that was fake, but they also wanted him to say that he had been paid off by the opposition party. Part of his torture included electric shocks from modified modified car batteries. It sounds completely awful. They threatened his family and they demanded to know where he had found the statue. But Roger had promised his friend that he would not reveal the location of the tunnels, even under threat of death. So he was in this hotel. He was tortured for weeks and didn't say anything. That's which is amazing to me because I would have given it up in five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been like, oh, you mean that very real gold Buddha right there, which I found at this exact address? Like, no way. But he took his promise to his friend very seriously and didn't want to tell him where it was. So after weeks and weeks of torture, he finally agreed to say that he'd been paid off by the opposition party. At this point, they let the worst of his wounds heal. And they took him to a courthouse to authenticate the Buddha, which was him just like standing in front of it and kind of pointing to it for a photo. (laughs) Apparently that was good enough to like prove it was the real one. Um And then they took him back to the hotel to torture him some more. But at this point, the worst of his wounds have healed, right, for that photo. And as you may recall, this is like something seriously out of a movie. Did you you recall his occupation? That's right. He's a locksmith. So he goes into the bathroom, which has a small window that at least in the reenactment is just bolted with like a brass padlock. So he picks that lock and escapes. And goes into the hiding for the rest of his life. It's he gets away. Incredible. I was like, this story has everything. They Documents inside of statues, locksmith maneuvers. Like he escapes in the end. He escapes because yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, he's not dead because he's the one telling the story. But also, I was assuming he got like rescued or something. They eventually like, let him go. Oh yeah, I did not expect him. Yeah, to I thought maybe he authentic he authenticated the statue, and they were like, "Okay, fine, you can go." I I don't know, or maybe he told them where the treasure was, and they let him live. But no, he never told them where the treasure was, and he escaped out of the bathroom, and he went into hiding. Uh, Robert Stack tells us that the strain of living underground uh, was stressful on his family, and him and his wife later divorced. At the time of the segment, he had remarried. Um, and he t- was continuing to live in an undisclosed location in the Philippines, which is just so ballsy and great. Yeah. Um, Roger is convinced that Marcos eventually found the gold bars. He doesn't like specifically say if him and his friend ever like went back to look for them or not, but it seems like they weren't too far from Roger's house. So I don't know. Well, and Marcos has, I mean, Clearly he stole, he was not opposed to stealing money from his own people, but the fact that he had such immense wealth 
I think is also what convinced them that he right, probably yeah. found if not that treasure, another one stole it from someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, if anybody else ever found that treasure, I'm sure he would have just stolen it. So right. I don't even know that he necessarily had to go look for it since he was willing to steal it. Um, and the location of the gold Buddha statue was unknown. Apparently, it, w- it was supposedly sighted at some like Marcos family like estate somewhere, but no one's sure if that's the real one. Um, then, then we get another twist. So at the beginning, Roger... Oh, my God. I can't go back and forth between Robert Stack and Roger. My mouth won't do it. Okay. At the beginning of the segment, Robert Stack told us that Roger Rojas was suing the Marcos estate. So in the update, we learned that on the very day that Roger Rojas is supposed to testify in civil court for damages of this stolen property, oh, he collapses and dies of cardiac arrest. Is this suspicious? (laughs) I think so. I mean, they presented that without any other context. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Like, the exact day? Uh, I know. I think he got poisoned or something. I honestly do. That that exact day that he was going to testify in this case. He Mm. drops dead of cardiac arrest. Unsolved yeah, Mysteries Wicking says he leaves behind an ori- organization to carry on the suit against him, but without his testimony, that that case would be so much weaker. And I don't, I don't even know what happened with that. Um, yeah, wild. It is a really wild story. I actually really liked it. If you want to look this up, this is referred to as Yashi Yamashita's treasure. Yamashita's treasure. Okay. Yeah, that one is really inter- that was really interesting. For a treasure, I was surprised. It's it kind of has like a lot of twists and turns. There's like a whole movie of stuff in here. I mean, ugh, poor Roger though. I know. Poor Roger. Yeah, he had some permanent damage from all that torture, but also he clearly just had this like spirit of like don't mess with that guy. Yeah, because he I'm was okay. still like I worked so hard for that treasure. We dug for weeks. How dare they take it from me? Like it wasn't even like, how dare they like kidnap me and torture me? It's like, that treasure belonged to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. So I'm worth watching, I say. All right, Samantha, you have an unexplained death, which is yet another New Mexico mystery. A lot of mysteries happening in New Mexico. It's a mysterious place. So this is the unexplained death of Caitlin Arquette. On June 14th, 1989, 18-year-old Caitlin Arquette graduated from Highland High School in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, She went by Kate. She was popular. She was outgoing. She was an honor student. She had recently accepted, um, had been accepted at the University of New Mexico, and she had plans of one day attending med school. Shortly before graduation, she used money that she received from an insurance settlement to move in with her boyfriend. Kate's mother, uh, Lois Duncan, was aware of the arrangement, um, but she wasn't like entirely up to speed on the details. Um, she only later found out that uh, Kate's boyfriend was eight years older than her um, because she, uh, Kate had actually lied to them and said that he was only four years older than her um, when they first started dating. I don't know if that's like super suspicious, but... That is weird. Came out later. It is a bit weird. Um, her uh, Lois tells on some mysteries that she wouldn't have let Kate. 
date someone that much older than her. Um, but she did say that she thought he was a nice guy. Um, he came around the house a lot. They liked him at the time. Six weeks after they moved in together on July 16th, Kate met up with her mother and at that time admitted that her and her boyfriend had been having serious problems almost from the moment they moved in. Uh, Kate wanted her mother to lie to her boyfriend regarding her whereabouts. Um, and she seemed very, very upset. In the reenactment, her mom doesn't want to tell him that like she's staying with a friend because that would be a lie. You know what? If your daughter needs you to lie to like so her boyfriend doesn't know where she is, just do it, please. Yeah, I'm going to say it. just do it. It is a lie, you know, but I think it's okay. Sometimes we have to tell a lie. Uh, just No, yeah. like, you're not going to – I feel like in general you're not going to have something like that unless it's important. I don't know. It's not like she was going on some, like, girl's trip or cheating or something. She was just like, right. I don't want to go home to the apartment. So, yeah, I'm going to say just lie. <laughs> Just, just lie. Maybe load the boyfriend in a rocket and shoot him to the moon. Yeah, like, be very suspicious of the boyfriend at that point. Right. Maybe just, yeah, like, mean, they, don't even talk to him. They live together, and she's saying that she doesn't want him to know where she is. So that is a yeah, pretty big like red it. flag. I don't like it. Um, that we should consider as we go through this mystery. So Kate, that night, visited her girlfriend. She was there from 9.30 p.m. to about 10.45. And then she headed east along Lomas Road towards her mother's house. It is believed that while she was on her way home, a car pulled up alongside her, and someone in the other car shot her twice in the head. Or a little bit before midnight, Lois Duncan received a phone call from the emergency room. They said that Kate was there, that she'd been injured, but wouldn't tell her what happened over the phone. Um, and then when she got to the hospital, Kate was in a coma from two gunshots uh. to the head. Five hours later, police arrived at Kate's apartment. Her boyfriend was there. He was home alone. He was seemingly unaware that his girlfriend had been shot and was close to death. Detective Steve... Gallegos of the Albuquerque Police Department questioned him on his whereabouts and Kate's boyfriend said that he had been out with a couple of friends they had eaten they played pool they had a couple of drinks and then when he got home he discovered a note on top of the kitchen table the note according to uh, detective Steve read something to the effect of hun I'll be home at a certain time uh, he indicated that the note came from Caitlin uh do you think they ever have anyone else look at that note well so the unsolved i don't remember this in the episode but the unsolved wiki asserts that the like the handwriting wasn't kate's um so i think later on the family must have had a chance to look at it and didn't believe that it was kate's handwriting Mm -hmm. okay so the police let, left the apartment. Her boyfriend headed straight to the hospital and joined her family at her bedside. Less than 24 hours later, Caitlin died. Um, six months later, police ruled that Caitlin Arquette had been the victim of a random act of violence. But her yeah, mother sure, refused okay. to accept this ruling. Yeah, I refuse to accept this ruling too, but I don't come to the same conclusion as the mother. <laughs> I'm I think we're on the same page uh following her daughter's death uh Caitlin's mother began to uncover quote dark uh dark hints that Caitlin had somehow gotten mixed up with a major criminal organization in Albuquerque yeah okay. uh two and a half, for 
two and a half months before she was killed, Caitlin and her boyfriend took a trip to Southern California. According to Lois, Kate had become involved in a complex insurance scam after her boyfriend. No, it really wasn't that complex. It was a pretty basic insurance scam. (laughs) Uh, This part is so weird because they claim. It's very strange. They claim that they got mixed up with a powerful Vietnamese gang and Caitlin's Words boyfriend I hear rented, every a, day. <laughs> rented a car and then rear-ended their co-conspirators who were in this gang and everyone involved in the accident pretended to have soft tissue injuries to the neck, lower back, and they were later, apparently, according to this theory, treated by a doctor who was part like in the gang and part of the fraud. I don't know. And then a law firm in Orange County, California, handled the insurance claims. They claimed that the people in the law firm were in on it. It's like I think there are cases like this, and they're really not that complicated. That people have, yeah, like a fake accident or a conceived accident. They have tissue damage, which is like harder to prove. They go to someone that's in, you know, a doctor that's in on it to like sign off of it, and then everybody gets like a little cut of the money. Sure, not complicated. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure happens. Uh, I don't know. My point is that I don't think you need like a powerful Vietnamese gang for that to happen. Like you do need some sort of conspiracy because multiple people are in on the scam. But I don't know that it's really like that complicated or would involve people that are like that violent, I guess, is my point. Are you saying that she didn't get mixed up with a major criminal enterprise? I feel like her parents are kind of racist is actually my point. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's more likely. Uh, So I don't know. This is what the mob keeps like trying to blame, quote, the Vietnamese Mm, doesn't really sit well with me. Nah, I don't like it. And this is no. what Lois Duncan tells Unsolved Mysteries. Quote, it was evidently a major multi-million dollar insurance scam. Yet, Caitlin and her boyfriend only got $1,500. So I guess I don't really understand how they got to this conclusion. But whatever. They're on the, they're on the low end of that scheme. And this is further confusing because apparently, like, Caitlin was supposed to be in on this. But her mother claims that she, like, found out about it and they wanted to silence her. Well, she okay, Samantha. According to this woman's theory that I don't agree with, is that she found out that the extent of it, like she found out, oh my god, this goes all the way to the top, which I guess is, I don't know, it somehow involves a gang. <laughs> it, it, it was bigger than she thought it was initially, but I think that's sort yeah. of also a way of like both saying my daughter was involved in fraudulent behavior and also she's not the bad one. Yeah, I think that's more like. I think that's honestly more likely. Um, so she was Lois's theory is that she found out about this, yeah, the extent of the scam, and she decided she was going to break up with her boyfriend, but that put her in danger due to the people he was involved with. Uh, a few weeks after Caitlin's death, her mother made another disturbing discovery, which is that three calls had been made from Kate's apartment at almost the exact moment of her death. This was a little strange because they lived alone um, and her boyfriend was at her side when she died. So it's not clear like how these calls were made from their apartment. That is a mystery. Um, I don't know. They think that it had something to do with the paralegal who set up 
the claims for the I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's call everybody calm down. So Lois asked a local crime reporter, this is Mike Gallagher, to investigate. He first spoke to Kate's former landlord, and he, he said that he got the impression from neighbors that Caitlin was more afraid of her boyfriend's friends rather than actually afraid of her boyfriend himself. I don't know. Okay. She would get, um, like, apparently he had Vietnamese friends and she was disturbed when they only spoke Vietnamese around her. That was what the neighbors said. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. Mike Gallagher was able to obtain a copy of the note that the police... Oh, here it is. The, the police believed that Kate had left for her boyfriend on the day of the shooting. He compared it with another sample of her handwriting and said it was obvious that the handwriting in the note was not Caitlin's. And I am looking at a picture of it right now, and it's like... Very... It kind of looks like if you had written with your non-dominant hand... <laughs> Like, okay. it's really yeah. strange handwriting. So I think you would know for sure if the, like, it's a very unique handwriting. So he said it was clear that Caitlin had not written that note. Um, Caitlin's mother remained convinced that her daughter's death was related to the insurance scam, but the police were going in a completely different direction. Six months after the murder, an informant led police to a young man named... I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Huevnal Escobedo? I'm sure I pronounced that wrong and I'm really sorry. They discovered that Escobedo had recently sold his brown Chevrolet Camaro. On the night of Caitlin's murder, a truck driver had reported seeing a brown Camaro chasing a young woman in a car similar to Caitlin's. In the end, the charges were dropped because the police could not connect him uh, to the gun or the shooting. And then finally, under pressure from Kate's family, the police questioned her boyfriend again, which seems like where they should have focused their energy, in my opinion. Uh, this time, he admitted that he and a friend had taken part in the insurance scam, but maintained his innocence in her death. Charges have never been filed against him or any of his friends, nor is he considered a suspect in Kate's murder. This crime reporter, Mike Gallagher, was unsatisfied with the police's investigation, as am I, honestly. Yeah, it um, sounds real lazy. I, I don't know. Honestly, my I don't agree with the police or her family. It seems like she was having she was afraid of her boyfriend. Yep. She didn't want to stay with him. Yep. Maybe we should be giving a little bit more little bit more scrutiny his way because who is most likely to murder a woman? Yep. Her romantic partner, especially if it's a man. <laughs> Just saying. Let me see if the Unsolved Mysteries wiki has any updates. The vast, vast majority of the time women are victims of violence. It's because of their intimate partners or other family members. So I don't I don't really think she's part of some crime syndicate. They got mad at her. I They may have done the scam. It seems like they did do the scam. And probably it was her boyfriend's idea. They only got $1,500. They used it to put like a down payment on this apartment. It if they were a part of this multi-million dollar scam, they only got $1,500. Like, Honestly, I feel like yeah. her being a part of this scam, even if she wanted to turn other people in, I don't see how she would be privy to, to evidence against them. Like, even if she found out, like, oh, it's bigger than I thought. So? Like, what? Yeah. What evidence would she have to, like, give the authorities and turn in all these people? You know what I mean? Like, 
right. her just like becoming aware of something isn't really that much of a threat. Yeah. Just like her opinion or her thought isn't evidence. So I don't yeah, know that they not. really would be that <laughs> threatened by her. Like, first of all, she took part in it. So she's like a bit guilty. But also, what is she going to do? Say like, oh, that doctor. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, it doesn't sound like yeah. she had like some proof of anything. Um, I I mean, I find the, the boyfriend incredibly suspicious here. But it's also the racism in this segment can makes it kind of hard to parse out what he's actually like. Because... Well, and they didn't seem to focus on him at all. So we do not get a lot of information. No. Like, they weirdly his, are like, well, it's obviously not him. Yeah. How solid is his alibi that he was out with friends? We does anyone heard. ask him about this note that she clearly didn't write? Um, why was she scared to go home? Like, Yeah, we have a ton of unanswered questions that they never went into. The Unsolved Mysteries wiki has a little bit more information, but it's it's not it's it's nothing conclusive it says that lois hired a private investigator who discovered that a man named paul uh podaka was found standing next to caitlin's car when the police arrived at the scene his information was taken down but he was allowed to leave he was also never interviewed by the police about the case lois why what why this is why so lazy? first of all this man doesn't seem to be white and lois is was disturbed according to unsolved mysteries wiki to learn that he had an extensive criminal history with multiple convictions for attacking women which maybe was true but that doesn't mean that he didn't also maybe witness her go off the road and call the police i don't know like i don't want to be rude but having a criminal record in albuquerque is not that special (laughs) that doesn't make that guy guilty of anything other than the stuff he was already tried and convicted for. Like, that's not a reason to look at him. I mentioned I that did- he's not white because it seems like Lois is yeah, no. her Lois only is- suspects. Lois has got some issues. Uh, I did really like that the, the guy with the brown car, his alibi was that he was in jail. Yeah. <laughs> that's a solid alibi. Hard to get around that one. Yes, you can be uh, pretty certain of where he was. Unlike the boyfriend, where was he? We have no idea. So anyway, Lois was, I think, concerned that this might have been the part. Why would you stick around? Why would you do this? Stick around and wait for the police. It doesn't even make any sense. Lois Uh, is racist. I I don't know why she's convinced of the boyfriend's innocence. I guess just because she liked the boyfriend. I I guess. But her sure. daughter was scared of him. Yeah. Uh, um, the private investigator also discovered that Caitlin's car had been hit at, by at least one vehicle before it went off the road and crashed into a light pole, as evidenced by the damage to the left rear bumper and the side of the car. It is not known why the police investigators did not release this information. I think they were just doing a bad job. Lois suspects <laughs> that the police department was involved in a cover-up involving the case. No, I think... We've talked about this before. I, I think, think it's just incompetence. Yeah. Or didn't care. I, or didn't yeah. do a good job. Whatever. Like There wasn't someone that was like obviously guilty, though. I mean, that's debatable. But when, when this one lead didn't work out because the guy was actually in jail, I feel like they were like, mm, some random act of violence. We'll never know. Like, I just don't even feel like they really tried. No. And I understand that your daughter 
died and maybe you don't want to believe that it yeah well i'm sh- i'm sure it was it was easier to think it's random than it's someone we liked that we let in our house that we you know yeah but, but I- he has this whole like conspiracy about this gang and this police cover-up and i don't know that it's that complicated lois i don't think it is and also lois was comfortable going on tv sounding real racist so in 2003 a cold case squad investigating the case determined that she had been shot after the car collided with the light pole this was based on the accuracy of the shots which suggested that they were fired at a close range uh, I don't know what that tells us, though. Like, so, so the person ran, ran her, her off, off the road, road and, and then shot then- her. Right. I mean, it actually makes a lot more sense. It would be quite kind of stealthy to just drive up and just drive shoot through up the and shoot through the window with a handgun and drive away. Like, yeah, that seems like something. So, so yeah, this is unsolved, and it's probably going to remain unsolved. Lois passed away on June fifteenth, two thousand sixteen, and there's been no further progress in the investigation. I don't know if the case is cold or if they just—I guess it's—I mean, they haven't solved it. You know, ruling it a random act of violence doesn't mean the case is closed. But I'm not sure anyone's looking into it. Unfortunately, that's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. So that's that. Well, I think this teaches us that if you ever don't want to take responsibility for something, you should just blame a gigantic crime syndicate. <laughs> yeah. Give it a try. See if it works. Okay. We have one more mystery, and it is a lost love. And Samantha didn't get it. I did. It's a bummer. Well, you got the treasure. Although it was a good treasure, so... Mm, guess it kind of balances out. Okay. And this is a kind of weird... <laughs> it's kind of weird lost love, too. Uh... So it starts with August 4th, 1990, and we see 24-year-old Sharon Tapain getting married and or told that every important person in her life is there, except one, which <laughs> we flash back to 20 years earlier, and a four-year-old girl named Terry Lynn Smith had come to live with the Tapain house temporarily. She was there for six years, so not very temporarily, and was thought of to be a member of the family. However, they had not seen her in over a decade, and the family feels incomplete. So, the Tapain family was a large family. They had six boys and three girls. A lot of kids. Oh, my God. My vagina hurts so much just thinking about it. So, they loved horses, and um, they got to know the manager of the ranch where they boarded their horses, and his name was Tim Smith. So, Tim had two children, a boy and a girl, who lived with him in a small trainer trailer on the ranch however one day he's talking to mrs tapain and he mentions that he doesn't feel like the ranch is a place to raise a small girl not really sure why okay the the details of this arrangement is fair this is another that's why i was saying it was weird yeah like does she never get to leave the ranch like you these people bring their entire family because they board their horses so like the woman who's the mom is interviewed for the show and says that she was just surrounded by cowboys all the time. But like you come there, right? And you have ten kids, right? Yeah, call, yeah. Because the mom's like, oh, she was there by herself. She didn't have any children to play with. And I was like, well, she has a sibling for one. Also, surely other people come to this ranch. I don't understand why it's a worse place to raise a girl than a boy. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't really understand that. Presumably, she's eventually going to go to school. 
I would hope. So, but okay. So anyway, they had this conversation and he was like, oh, I feel like the ranch isn't really the place to raise a small girl. And very weirdly, Mrs. Tapain took that as an invitation to go talk to her husband that maybe they could have one more kid live. They already have nine children. And she was like, there's one more. There was always room for one more. And I was like, really? When you have nine? How? How? There wasn't room six children ago. What are you talking about? So she goes back and offers to let Terry Lynn come live with him. And this guy says yes. He didn't even... I find it super weird. He didn't even ask. He wasn't like, look, we're really struggling. These are hard times. Would you mind taking Terry Lynn in for a while? And then they were like, oh, of course, right? He just mentions like, I don't know that a girl should be growing up on a horse ranch. And this woman's like, like, best place for a girl to grow up. Girls love horses. Speaking as a hashtag horse girl. uh, (laughs) It's like, this is my dream. What do you mean? What do you mean? Grow up on a horse ranch. I Man, don't like, understand. I want to ride a horse when I first wake up and right before I go to bed every day. What are you talking that about? Would, I had dreams of living on a horse ranch as a child. I don't really understand. And it's, it's not like this. It didn't seem like this was like a working like cow ranch. Or maybe it was. I don't know. It seems like they boarded other people's horses. Think, yeah, it's it was like, just where people boarded horses. Completely they, normal. Like, probably like, trained horses and maybe bred horses. But I don't really see why that would be bad. Lots of kids grow up on hor- on farms. <laughs> yeah. It's very normal. strange. She acts like this makes sense. Like, you know when you're talking to someone you don't really know and you just offer to take their kid? And I was like, no. And then they say yes. And then they enthusiastically say, yes, please take my kid off. I'm not worried about you, I don't know, molesting my child or selling her. or I- What? Just take... Oh, yeah, just take her. Just take my kid. So... Anyway, <laughs> very strange. The agreement they come to is that he will take care of their horses for free so that she can stay with them. This is what I was wondering, and I don't want to accuse these people of anything, but is that really the deal? The boarding horses is expensive. These people have 10 kids. They want to keep their horses. Did they work out some kind of weird deal where they would take care of his daughter in exchange for horse boarding? I kind of think so. It's really what it's, it seems like they didn't want to say that on national TV, but like maybe that was the real arrangement. <laughs> but that's, she's like sold for horse care. It's biz- okay, maybe that's not, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's, but I'm just saying. It Allegedly. Appears, it Allegedly. Appe- it appears to be the case. It's and anyway, that was part of the arrangement. He did take care of their horses in exchange for free. So there was a like financial incentive for them, because I'm sure that's quite expensive, opposed to feeding one more child when you only have nine. It's just a little bit yeah. more macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine having horse, multiple horses and ten kids. Like, how can anyone afford scary. to have ten kids? I have no idea. How do you afford to have idea. one? I don't I mean, know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So then we get a lot of flashbacks of time with Terry Lynn was very happy. All the children loved her. Um, and Shannon, who we saw her wedding at the beginning, was close to Terry in age. So the two of them really bonded. They spent a lot of time together. They learned how to swim together. I mean, of course, the Tipanes had a pool because they're people who can have nine children and board horses. <laughs> so, um yeah, she got to swim in the pool and, I don't know, actually go to school, which I'm not clear of. She was doing at the ranch. 
And yeah. Well, eventually, uh, Mr. Tapane dies of cancer, and Mama Tapane goes back to work as a nurse. So she was working the night shift so she could send the children off to school and be there when they got home. And then the like older children had to take care of the younger ones at night. I don't know. Maybe that was legal. <laughs> it's not ideal, but money was tight. And that was like the only way they could make it work. She, it, at this point, they, she decides that it's time for Terry to go back to live with her father, even though she's been living there for six years. Six like very fundamental years to her development. The- like she probably barely remembers. Now she's been seeing her dad on the weekends. It's not like she hasn't seen her dad at all. But like this is her home and these people are basically her siblings. I okay, so it did seem like they took really good care of this girl. The mom seems relatively nice, but the way she talks about sending her back, it's in- weird. It it's is w- it's weird. It's weird because she's been saying like, "Oh, she's a part of the family, blah blah blah." Well, it was time to send her back to live with her dad. It's like that's not what happens when people are part of your family. She goes, when I told the kids, they were so upset. But I was like, you know what? Just ha- it shit happens. This is how yeah. things go sometimes. What? You basically said she was like another daughter to you. It's like, yeah, well, look, I can feed nine of you motherfuckers, but I can't feed ten. One of you got to go. And it's going to be the one that can live in a horse ranch. Yeah. <laughs> It's really weird. I feel like, I don't know, these kids would have, like, gotten part-time jobs to help out with money. Or they clearly didn't want her to leave. Like, no. Can't they start some sort of babysitter's club or something? Like, <laughs> I, this should, should have been such the – she seems to have come to this I, – I get it. Money is tight and hard decisions had to be made. But she comes to this decision, it seems, like, very easily. Like, it should have been a harder choice. Yeah. Where she was just sort of like, well, look, maybe she was part of the family, but she also wasn't really my daughter. So get the hell out, Terry Lynn. It's disturbing because it's not like she had two kids and it was like, you know what? I can only feed one kid. It's she had nine. <laughs> Samantha, there's a limit. Is there that much difference between nine and ten? It's still a shit ton of people to feed. It, I, it's hard to imagine that it was. And I feel like they probably, she probably got an, could have gotten all of her other kids to agree to eat a little less or something. Yes. <laughs> like, all right. You only get one and a half slices of pizza each. I don't know. <laughs> this is a weird solution to after. She's, she's been there for more than six years. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. This is bizarre. So, anyway, they make her go back and live with her dad. And they say it as like, yeah, she was sad to leave, but she was also you know excited to spend more time with her dad and i was like yeah but that's not like her home at this point yeah and it also like wasn't her choice right so right (laughs) they've kicked her out like she loves them like a family and they've kicked her out and even if she kind of understands the motivation for that even if she's like oh yeah you know since my basic dad died money's been tight i get it like that's still gonna hurt so much yeah I don't know. Maybe sell some shit. I, yeah. I felt. I feel really bad for her. Well, surprise, surprise. She wasn't great about keeping in touch. <laughs> After you kick her to the curb. Not. Not. Uh, that. This seems to shock all of them, but does not shock me. No. That Terry <laughs> Lynn doesn't keep in touch. Yeah. The last time they see her is in 1980, and she was 16 years old at the time. She was no longer living with her father as a 16-year-old. Did they invite her to come? Like, clearly living with her father didn't work. 
wasn't a good idea. There's a reason he let her go in the first place. He's not a great parent. So she's living with her boyfriend at 16 years old. Did they offer for her to come back? No. I do not like these people. At 16, you're already living on your own. She could get a job at the local diner. Like, I know. What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like these people. Really? <laughs> really? Someone that you like, yeah, are supposedly considered as part of your family. You consider your daughter. It didn't work out living with her dad. Surprise, surprise. You're going to let her live with her boyfriend, be on her own at 16, and you're just going to be like, well, that's the way that goes. Apparently. I, I feel no obligation to, to intervene at all. But she brought her boyfriend by to meet them, and that was the last time they saw him. And they, they it had been more than 10 years. Oh, what happened to Terry Lynn? She knows where we live. Why isn't she kept in touch? Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, the update is that she is found. Don't worry. She's not dead. She's just not, she's just, I assume, not these, uh, interested in keeping up with these people that she thought loved them, and then they just kicked her out. So a viewer's tip, this is from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, a viewer's tip led to a reunion between Terry, who was engaged and living in Lake Ellsnor, California, and the Tapains on February 5th, 1993. They remain in touch. Sadly, right. Jerry, who I believe is Mrs. Tapain, died in 1999 at age 72. Yes, that is Mrs. Tapain. Um, this is mean, but I can't say that I'm that sad. Not especially i she okay look maybe she was a lovely woman she did not come off well in this segment (laughs) she is here she is on national tv admitting that she let a child into her home kind of weirdly but whatever you could make it sound generous and she still comes off as like awful (laughs) where i was just like how dare you it really seems like they traded horse care for a child yeah she had a a good you know she grew up happy they gave her a loving home okay that's nice but then when she became inconvenient maybe i didn't have horses okay i'm guessing money's tight right maybe you don't have those horses anymore maybe you sold them maybe you don't need maybe you don't need free horse care anymore well then why are you why are you making one extra helping of mac and cheese with little hot dogs in it you can just send this kid back. <laughs> it's really how it appears. It's really how it comes off. And uh, I'm sorry, Terry Lynn. I can make nine bologna sandwiches with absolutely no condiments, but I can't make ten. So <laughs> guess, guess who's going back to the ranch? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, people don't feed know. kids garbage food, and I just refuse to believe that they could feed nine of them and not ten of them. I refuse. <laughs> yes. They're not eating, like, crab soufflés. Oh, my God. Okay, that is the end of the episode. It feels a little short, but that's because that treasure mystery was so long. And it might still be going on today. So we have to rate it now. Let's rate it. Mysteriousness? I don't know how mysterious. Yeah, I was going to say your mystery was kind of mysterious, but mm, it's kind of not. My perspective on it is that it's not that mysterious, but... It's allegedly not very mysterious. (laughs) Yes, allegedly not that mysterious. Um, (laughs) That's a new legal term I just came up with. (laughs) Oh, man. If only I could have presented that to the jury. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to say thumbs down for mysteriousness. Yeah. Uh, Reenactments? Fine. They were okay. I don't know. There weren't a ton of reenactments in mine because they showed a lot of home home video footage. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
That was kind of cute, though. To see kids riding horses. The little kids riding the horses, like the two of them on one horse. It was so cute. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how I I will say Shannon, the 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 sibling that was having the wedding and wanted to find Terry Lynn, she did not seem terrible like her mom. Oh no, she seemed she seemed fine. So she all the kids were probably in the same boat. They didn't want her to leave. Yeah. So I'm I just wanna be clear that I'm not throwing her under the bus. She seemed perfectly pleasant. The mom I have some serious reservations about, but uh reenactment wars were actually your first one were actually pretty good. Yeah, there's some kind of questionable music choices. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of a pet peeve of mine when you get this sort of like chopsticks inspired music every time something takes place in Asia. It's very tiresome. But um, the reenactments weren't bad, I don't think. No, they were a little bit Indiana Jones, like the tunneling underground it was, it was and the kind of gold bars. Yeah, I like that. So, ba ba ba. Thumb sideways? Yeah, thumb sideways. I was gonna say I was gonna say thumbs up. I couldn't even bring myself to say it. So yeah, thumbs sideways. I think that's a sideways. What do you how do you feel with the fashion? Nothing really stood out to me that no, much. Not really. I didn't even really see that many mustaches other than the one. Yeah, the actually pretty good. Um even with seeing all those kids, we didn't really get a ton of nineties looks. They they dressed kinda I don't know, not that not that trendy, not that extravagantly, so yeah, just a lot of stripes. Um, it's down. a very Tommy, it's a very Tommy Hill figure family. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna say thumbs down. A little disappointing. Could have been better. Could have been better. Robert Stack, barely in it. I don't know that I really even remember. Other than the very beginning, he says your standard. Perhaps it's you. He does say that perhaps it's you. Quote, you know, somewhere, somewhere. That's a classic. Um, <laughs> classic, classic Robert Stack quote. Yeah. Yeah, he's not really in it that much. Yeah. I don't think it really stands out a lot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He might, he might have been taking like a half day. <laughs> he had a vacation day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sideways, down. <laughs> I don't know. Stack using up his PTO on this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sideways. It's not like it was bad, but. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing remarkable. Nothing to write home about. Okay, so no. on our Robert Stack scale, I I did like this one. I do like it. I'm gonna say three and a half, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm with you on a three and a half. It's not like quite to a four. If we could have gotten one more mystery, yeah, I agree. If one they more mystery, thrown in a little want, even just a little wanted, just a short one. Oh, a special that, alert, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that that could have pushed it up. Um, or if we had gotten a reunion, because they didn't record the reunion yes. for the last Which, one. I wonder if uh, Tammy Lynn wasn't wasn't so like she wasn't looking for them. She knew where they were. This is selfish of me because we're not entitled to like see these intimate moments, these private moments of people's lives. But I really wanted it because I kind of wanted to like analyze her body language in a way that's not scientific at all. I wanted to kind of be like, "Mm, is she giving them like a forced smile? Oh, hi. (laughs) Yeah. But we didn't get that. So I don't know. 3.5. Yeah, I agree. I would go with a 3.5. Though I would say watch it. If you're I on the like fence, yeah. I think it's pretty good. It Don't just this one. it could have been a little bit better. Yes. All right. So we come to the end of the episode and we're at our recommendations do, 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 segment. Do, do. Oh, I have such a lazy one. I'm going to be That's as fine. lazy as the Albuquerque police investigating that <laughs> murder right now. So uh, we had our cloth mask slash dog bandana sale today. And that was to benefit 
the local libraries damaged in the Minneapolis uprising recently, particularly the East Lake Library was really damaged putting out some fires. So we wanted to help out. Several people asked if they could just give money to the library directly. Ooh, yeah. I guess I guess they don't need dog bandanas. Hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, yes, of course. <laughs> you could just give money to the library. So I wanted to share where all of that money is going to be going to. It is through the local library equity fund and the funds that we're donating to is called justice for all or supporting justice for all. Um, and this is what it says. Um, first and foremost, your donation will be used to help us restore the libraries most affected by a recent unrest in Minneapolis. In addition, a variety of other libraries are situated in the heart of neighborhoods that sustain damage. Your generosity will help fund new programs and resources focused on tackling the persistent poverty and inequality facing our black, brown, and indigenous friends and neighbors. Each of our 41 library locations plays a critical role in supporting fair, inclusive community that uplifts everyone, no exceptions. So um, that is where we're giving the money that we get from the sale. And if you want to just directly give money to them, we would appreciate that as well. Uh, we did our, we've recorded our very first episode at Hennepin County Library. So yes. it makes sense that we would give back. And we've, you know, we've had book clubs there. We use those resources all the time. So we're happy to help them out. So that is, you can find that link at supporthclib.org and slash justice dash for dash all. Nice. Great recommendation. It's, I know it's super lazy, but it's still a good recommendation. Oh, absolutely. All right, my recommendation is for something that maybe you want to watch when you've finished binging the new Unsolved Mysteries reboot. Oh, I'm intrigued. What I did, I was looking for something to watch after I had finished that. And I landed on a show that I've been meaning to watch for a while. Uh, it's been out for a couple months now. And it is The Big Flower Fight on Netflix. Yes, tell me everything. Okay, I was exp- I've, I'm only like three episodes in. I was expecting this to be like Great British Bake Off except with flowers. And that's pretty much what it is. I really like it. Premise of the show is that teams of different people, and some of them are florists. Some of them have never worked with flowers at all. Some of them are sculptures, artists. There's like a fashion design team, teams of two. They're competing in these like flower arrangement. They're like living sculptures, really. Arrangement and things that just They make these living sculptures out of flowers and plants each episode and each at in each episode one is chosen as the winner one team goes home and the ultimate prize is they get to display their work at london's royal botanic gardens i think there might also be a cash prize um and the arrangements they make are spectacular in the first episode they the theme was it was bugs um, and pollinators. And so they were making a living arrangement that would attract pollinators, but it was also in the shape of a giant bug. Oh and my God, I love it. No spoilers, but they're amazing. And my favorite one was this moth that they, this I mean, of did. course. <laughs> it was, everyone in the, in the show is eccentric. The uh, judges are delightful. There's a guest judge each time. And then there's like the host and then the standard judge. And, they're hilarious and delightful and they were expecting this moth to be super ugly but then it ended up being spectacularly beautiful um 
it's just it's very interesting to watch how they choose the plants and the structure and what they come up with is incredible um i will say that i wish it was more like the great british baking show where they have like a couple different competitions yeah um, like maybe they make a episode you mean as like a mini challenge and then they make the bigger one so far at least it's just been one project per episode and I do think that maybe makes a little bit of sense because they're so huge and take so much time to create like I think in the first episode they gave them 12 hours wow um that I, there's probably just not time to do like mini challenges or things like that but I do wish there was a little bit more just to like I don't know because they just they, you watch people making these sculptures that there's not like a ton to it um although it is interesting to see like their creative process and stuff like that but I'm liking it. There's only one season. I think it's just, like just came out um, this year. Uh, but as a person that loves gardening and loves plants, um, quite quite like it. Quite enjoy it. I might watch that literally tonight. That sounds great. It's very. It's just light too. Like I don't yeah. know. We read a book for book club this month that was like kind of horrifying, and I, yeah. the uns- yeah. binging the unsolved mysteries kind of gave me nightmares. <laughs> Like, even though I really liked it, it kind of, like, I it's don't know. A lot. It's a lot to process. Um, they're very dramatic, horrible, sad cases. Um, yeah, and sometimes I feel like you I... just need a little downtime to kind of process everything, you know. And obviously, there's a lot going on, too. So. Plus, everything that's going on in the world, it's just there's a lot of dark things. And I feel like I needed something a little bit lighter. And this is it. This is just people making beautiful art out of flowers on a huge scale. Um, the All the contestants are delightful. The hosts are delightful. Um, so if you're looking for something a little bit lighter, I, I definitely recommend the big flower fight. Oh, I have to tell my mom immediately. You might think my mom just reads trashy books about werewolves, but no. She's actually also a very skilled floral arranger or however by people that can arrange i am not at all i should have her teach me some stuff she studied like traditional japanese flower arranging at cabana and um yeah she's she's very good at flower arranging but it's not it's not a skill that i possess but and it really i do respect yeah it really does you think you just throw flowers in a vase and it looks nice i mean probably if you've ever just thrown flowers in a vase you've kind of realized oh wait this is actually like takes a lot of like thinking about size and composition and color and arrangement it's something that gets very technical very quickly because if you just throw a bunch of flowers in a vase you go wow that kind of looks like shit there's a composition you have to consider and textures and colors and then like something else i'm learning about uh arranging plants is like specific types of plants like when you cut them have different shelf lives and when you're making something that lasts like it's not it has to last like it's going to take you 12 hours to construct it and then they display these so it has to then continue to live or like be you know the flowers can't wilt um it has to be able to have like a life and there's specific flowers you have to treat differently so there's a ton to it and uh yeah i my hat i tip my hat to anyone that can arrange flowers because it is not a skill i possess (laughs) But I love looking at flower arrangement. I once went and sat in on a class at University of Illinois. They had a class in arranging flowers to music where you would basically create a little routine. Like you would 
almost like ice skating or something. You would like pick a song and then you would perform like putting the your arrangement in a vase or whatever like to the music while people watched. That's that was something class. I want to do, but I really want to see. It was pretty cool to see. I don't Amazing. know if they still offer that class, but if you're at U of I, I don't know. Check it out. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. Musical flower arrangers? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you had to like practice making the same arrangement multiple times so it would like fit the music and people would, like pick arrangements that fit their songs and even just like their movements of putting the things in the bass would like be kind of dancing. I don't know how this ended up being a thing, but it was impressive. <laughs> amazing. Okay, I think that's everything for today. So let's plug our shit and get out of here to watch the great flower fight. All right, let's do it. We're on social media, Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We have multiple Facebook groups because we're so cool. One of them is just for people who like our show and Animal Crossing. (laughs) Uh, So you can find our, our, we have a normal Facebook group as well. And then we have a Twitter where I fight with people. And we have an Instagram where you can buy dog bandanas. So really, we are just taking over the web. (laughs) Watch out, information superhighway. Um, What else? Okay, we have a website. Perhaps it's you.com. You can find our recommendations there and also our contact stuffs. And if you want to send us an email, maybe with a spooky story of something that happened to you or a psychic dream that you had, that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Check it out. Oh, and then if you want to throw us a little bit of extra money, we are going to be covering the Netflix reboot on our Patreon bonus episodes. And it only costs you a dollar a month. And you immediately get access to our back catalog, which is like 30 episodes at this point. So, so many episodes somehow. This month, we're going to be talking about the first two mysteries of the reboot. So the first two episodes. Are and I think covered. Liz needs to cover the second episode. Do you agree? Oh, whoa. Okay, sure. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I have a, a, a need for you to hear your take on episode two, it's which I know we hear be- anyway, but I just I kind of want you to cover that it's one. It's going to be something. Okay. <laughs> So that will be our Patreon bonus episode this month. If you give us $5, you get a coloring sheet every month, which is also a great deal. And we have a whole back catalog of those. And if you give us $10 a month, you get like a gift every quarter. You yeah. get like a cool little package. I One's going to be going out this month and I'm excited about it. Okay. But you don't get to know what that is. Yeah, that's a surprise. Oh, five-star reviews. The only type of reviews we accept iTunes, Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star reviews. We appreciate it. Yes. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, If you are in a place where the pandemic is gone, solve some mysteries, but Americans, fucking stay home, please. Please Oh, my God. stay home. Stay home. Take naps. Eat snacks. Do whatever (laughs) you can, but don't go out and not wear a mask and cuss in people's faces. (laughs) Please don't do that. Please. Okay, bye.